All right. Well, welcome uh, to H2O. It is an exciting day as we are launching into the fall semester, uh, both here at the city schools and uh, on campus at BGSU. And uh, man, there has been so much that's been going on. And so I just want to take a minute and say if you are newer to H2O or if this is your first time or one of your first times, a special welcome to you. I know during this time of year, there's a lot of people that are coming in and checking out H2O. And we want you to know that you're welcome here. We are so excited that you chose to come and spend your Sunday morning with us. And we hope that you get a little bit of a picture about who we are as a church and we can share with you uh, what we believe and what we stand in as well as get a chance to meet you. So if you're newer, we'd love for you to meet me after service or one of our leaders so that we can help connect you. And, and today as we're jumping into this and there's been so much that's gone on this week, you know, uh, Thursday over on campus there were thousands of, of new students coming. It was also the first day for city schools like we talked about and then, you know, if you didn't notice, if you stayed in Bowling Green last night, you heard this loud noise, you know, the track pool, which is kind of our, 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 our claim to fame here uh, at Bowling Green, and, and, and then even right now, there's a couple thousand students that are over on campus moving in, and so there's constant action at this time of year in this city, and, and as I think about that, it's important for us as we come to this season to kind of just stop and tell, especially those people who are checking out H2O, a little bit about who we are, and so the first Sunday uh, of every school year, we like to take a minute and explain who we are as a church and explain our name to people so that they understand, uh, because I think that there's something extremely important about a name, isn't there? When you think about that, like a name of somebody, of an individual, it's kind of like your first impression of them, right? It's your first interaction of them, and you may even make some judgments about that person based on what their name is, and if you're a parent, you know, maybe you went through that struggle of like, what am I going to name my kid? Because we know that a name means so much. It's like, should I go the family route, and if I do go the family route, whose side do I choose? I don't want to make my in is mad, but I kind of like my family name better, you know, and maybe you struggle with that. We've had friends who literally just struggled so hard naming their kids that they left the hospital, and it's like five, six days later until they actually name their kid, and, and as you think about that, you know, uh, should I go trendy? Should I go traditional? What should I do? And, and we think about it so hard because we know that it matters, you know, it makes a big difference because that's what people are going to identify you as, and, and as I think about that as our church, you know, our name, H2 it's the first impression that people have. And one of the most common questions that I get, I got asked it a lot even as I was on campus this week, is where does that name come from? You know, what's behind it? What's the heart behind it? And so today we're going to take a minute and we're going to look at the passage of Scripture that, that our name comes from because I think it tells you a lot about who we are as a church and who we want to be as a church. You see, the, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today is in John chapter 4. And, and it's this amazing story. I've read it so many times in my life, but every time I read it over and over again, and even as I was preparing this week as I was reading it, I was just thinking, this story blows me away because it gives us such a picture of the heart of Jesus. And really, if you don't remember anything from this morning, just remember this, that our church seeks to model everything that we do after the life of Jesus, hence why we get the name H2O. And, and the big idea um, from this story, and really the big idea that kind of defines who we are is this, that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our every thirst in life. When you think about that, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our every thirst in life. And as you look out at our world and as you maybe just take a minute to reflect within your heart, if we're all honest, we're all thirsty 
for something. You know, we're all thirsty for significance. We're all thirsty for meaning. We're, we're, we're thirsty for substance. We want to make an impact here on this earth. And so many of us, we, we spend so much of our life pursuing that thirst that we have. And if we just stop and take a minute to look at what Jesus tells us in John chapter 4, he actually gives us the answer to what is the most satisfying to that thirst that we have, and it's a relationship and a walk with him. So that's where we're going to be going today. If you guys want to open up in John chapter 4, I'd love to share this story with you, and we're going to stop as we go through it and look and see what God may be telling us through it. So John chapter 4 and verse 5, it says this. It says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sinarch, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So here we have this scene where it's just Jesus and the Samaritan woman sitting here at this well. Now watch the Samaritan woman, woman's reaction here in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And we're going to stop there for a minute. And the first kind of fill out in your handout is this, that Jesus broke barriers. Okay, Jesus broke barriers. You catch what was happening there? This Samaritan woman was, was like thrown off guard by the very fact that Jesus would even talk to her. Because what was going on there culturally is there was a disdain, there was actually a hatred between Jews and Samaritans. There, there was some classism going on, and there was some racism going on. So for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan was extremely unheard of. And then beyond that, if you remember, this was 2,000 years ago. The world and the culture was much different. So men and women, it was pretty much assumed that, that men were on the top of the food chain. Women were a little bit lower than that. So here you have a Jewish man or at least what the society viewed it as, at the top of the food chain, at the top of the pecking order, and you have a Samaritan woman. How dirty. You know, it's like you could barely even, she could barely even fathom that Jesus would have a conversation with her. And you can kind of catch her surprise. But Jesus broke down that barrier, didn't he? He went right through it. And I don't know if we can actually like really grasp the magnitude of what actually happened in that moment because it was so revolutionary. But that is what we love about Jesus is, listen, Jesus wasn't concerned about, you know, keeping people happy. He wasn't concerned about keeping the religious people of those days happy or looking good to the world around him. What Jesus cared about was people. What Jesus cared about was this woman and so he breaks through those barriers. And I think even in our world right now, it has to be addressed. We talked about it last week, but we can talk about it again today in our country right now that there's a lot of this, this racist tendencies going on and it's in the news everywhere. And people are asking, you know, what, what is going on with the racial tensions in our society? As followers of Christ, we have to set the example that Jesus set 2,000 years ago and say, listen, we have to condemn any type of racism, any type of discrimination that would treat people less than somebody else. Because the gospel tells us and the Bible tells us that every single one of us, no matter what our race, no matter what our color of skin, no matter what our gender is, we were created in the image of the God Almighty. Every single person. Think about that. So, so the, the idea that you could potentially call yourself a Christian in name 
but then not actually love every single person that was created in the image of Christ. Those two thoughts are incompatible. As followers of Christ, we have to set the example of being men and women who say there's no room for anything like that because we follow a leader who broke those barriers down 2,000 years ago and set the example for us. And that's why we must love every single person. Jesus didn't care about the man-made rules. He didn't care about the petty games that were going on during that time. He cared about people. And as we sit here today, we want to walk and follow in his footsteps, breaking down barriers to love people no matter what. So let's, let's jump back in to this passage here. In verse 10, it says this. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked them, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who has given us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. What Jesus says kind of goes right over her head. Did you catch that? Jesus is talking about the spiritual depth, the spiritual thirst that we all have. She thinks he's still talking about physical water. And so she's like, wow, I would love to not have to walk miles to come here and, and draw from the wall. Yeah, give me some of that water. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's something much deeper than that. In verse 16, it says he told her, go. And call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you worship must be in Jerusalem. So do you see what happened there? This woman is trying to distract Jesus. Jesus says, um, yeah, you want, you want living water? Well, go ask your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you have five, and you're shacking up with another guy right now. And she says, oh, yeah, well, what mountain should we worship on? You know, she, she tries to use this art of distraction to get the attention off of her and, and off of her predicament that she finds herself in, off, off of the spiritual thirst that she is seeking, and she tries to get it onto this philosophical argument. The art of distraction. You guys ever try that? I remember when I was in uh, high school, we had this, this high school uh, history teacher who loved to talk about himself. This tells you what type of student I was. And so we would come in, and me and my friends, we would kind of coordinate before class started, and we were like, let's try to get him off track so that we don't learn anything in class today. And so we would come in, and he loved to talk about his high school glory days. So we'd be like, hey, um, did you play uh, football in high school? You know, we'd ask the same question. Yeah, I played football in high school. And what position did you play? And we'd start getting him going, and we would get all the way through the class and he wouldn't teach us any history and for some reason that was like a victory to us you know we're like yeah uh, our, our greatest claim was we actually were supposed to take an exam one day and we distracted him the whole class we didn't even have to take the exam all right we got it bumped back to the next week that okay maybe that's you know why I ended up uh, in ministry I don't know maybe I could have been a doctor if I if I would have actually studied my history but the art of distraction is something that we can oftentimes use to get the attention off of what God might be doing in our hearts and our lives and on to something else. 
think about that for a minute. As we think about that, it's oftentimes much more comfortable to discuss religion or discuss ideas rather than to face our own reality of sin and brokenness. That's what this woman is trying to do. But listen, Jesus kind of sets her straight. And it leads us to our second point. It says that there can be no change without conviction in our life. Right? There can't be any change unless there's conviction in our life. Have you ever asked that question, like, is it really even possible for people to change? Because maybe you've been deceived, or maybe you thought somebody was starting to change, and then they went back to their old ways, or maybe even you, in the depths of your heart, have asked that question, can I really even change? I want to pursue God. I want to live a life of holiness. I want to seek him, but I just don't know if I can. Is it even possible to change? Well, change starts with conviction. And there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. You see, condemnation drives us further and further and further away from God because we think that we're so horrible, so filthy, and we can't live in it anymore. But conviction is different. Conviction says, I am broken. I am hurting. I am messed up. I have made mistakes. I look at Nate's story, and I love his openness and his honesty because he was honest about it. But it wasn't condemnation that drove him away from community. It was conviction that drove him to Jesus. And so Jesus lays the foundation for change in this woman's life by helping her to see that she should be convicted by the way that she had lived her life. Let's jump back in. Verse 21. The woman replied, believe me, a time, or Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. Doesn't realize she's talking to him. I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one who speak to you, am he. She says, I know somebody really smart, really amazing. He's going to come one day, and he's going to tell me the answers to all these things. And she's standing face to face with that very person, Jesus. And he says, I am he. He tells her, I am God. I am Messiah. And it leads us to our third point, that Jesus is both challenging and inviting to this woman. Jesus is completely challenging and yet completely inviting as he has this conversation with this woman. We talked about the fact that he called her out on her sin. That was a pretty challenging thing to do as he's sitting there at this well with this woman, just him and her, as he calls her out and talks to her about this sexual immorality, this brokenness that she had in her life. But he was so inviting because we already talked about the fact that he broke down these cultural barriers. He was willing to initiate a conversation with her, willing to love her when so many people in that society and that world would have discarded her would have given up on her. She's a lost cause. They would have called her every name in the book. Can you imagine? But that wasn't Jesus. That wasn't him. He loved her. And so he loved her enough to challenge her and say, listen, God has a better plan for your life. 
God has something so much better for you than to continue in this perpetual cycle of jumping from guy to guy to guy. God has a better plan, so let me challenge you on that, but I want to invite you into a relationship with me. I want to invite you into the fact that I love you, that God loves you, that he can restore you, that he can make you new, and that's the type of church that we seek to be here at H2O. As we think about our church, as we think about all that we do, we want to be so inviting that every single person in this city and on that campus knows that they are welcome. No matter what they did last night, no matter where they came from, no matter who they are, they are welcome here because we love people, because Jesus loved us. But we're also going to be challenging enough to believe that God's word is true. And to believe that God has, has called us to live a life that's modeled after him. And we won't be perfect at it. And we will make mistakes. But when we do, we'll confess them and we'll say, Jesus can forgive me. And so we want to be a church that just like Jesus in this story was so inviting and challenging, that's our heart as well. To love people enough to actually point them towards a better life, but at the same time invite every single person to experience the community that God has called us to. As I look at that story, and as I think about that story, I, I think about what we talked about at the beginning of this message, that all of us were thirsty for something. And I don't think we're probably that much different than this woman in this story. Yeah, maybe her story played out differently than some of us. Probably most of us haven't been married to five different people or whatever her situation was. But I don't think we're that much different than her. As we think about the reality that she found herself in, this woman was thirsty, but she was running to the wrong well, wasn't she? She was thirsty, but she was going to the wrong place to get that contentment and that joy that she was seeking so much. And so she was running to the well of relationships. Maybe some of us can really relate to her. Maybe as we sit here, we've been in a cycle that's pretty similar. We've jumped around from, from person to person thinking, if I can just find that right person, then I'll be complete. Then, then, then my life will be exactly what I want it to be. But I can tell you, even when you find that right person, they're never going to be enough because we were made to experience something even more than what another person can give you. We were made to experience a relationship with God. Maybe others of us, we, we go to different wells, you know. Maybe some of us, we, we go to the well of, of materialism or success. Right? And so we think if we just have the right job, maybe if we're a student, if I can just get straight A's, if we're a city member here, if I can outperform the people around me at my work, if I can move up the corporate ladder, if I can get to that place, then, then that, that thirst that I have deep down, it'll be quenched, and, and I'll be everything that I want to be, and, and it'll finally, I'll feel that fulfillment. But listen, not that it's wrong to pursue those things. But if you're running to them, if you're running to them to hope that they meet those needs in your life, that well is empty. That well is empty, and you're going to be thirsty. Nate talked about running to the well of partying and trying to fill the, the void in his life. And I know that was my story when I was in high school as well. It was like if I could just be around enough people and maybe consume enough alcohol, the problems would go away, the friendships would rise up, and life would be good. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, and so no matter what well we're running to here today, I think that Jesus would say the same thing to us as he said to this woman. Look at verse 13 and 14. Anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
In other words, anyone who runs to the well of success or materialism or partying or relationships or whatever, anyone who runs to one of those wells, you will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. H2O. That's who we are. That's what we live for. That's why we do everything that we do. Because we believe that Jesus is the ultimate answer to that searching that we all have. And then check this out. Check out the last part of this passage. It's, it's one of the most beautiful parts that often gets overlooked. Jump down to verse 39 with me. It says this. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, fourth and finally, we can learn this, that changed people change people. Changed people change people. As God comes in and transforms our lives, and we turn from our sin, and we start to follow Jesus, we cannot help but share that out of the overflow and the abundance and the thankfulness for what God has done for us. Because if we wrestle with that reality of what will actually quench the thirst that we have, and we come to the fact that Jesus gives us living water, then we want to give that living water away to others. And of course, God is the only one who changes people, but we partner with God in sharing his message of love and hope and peace and joy and forgiveness to every single person. And it's an amazing privilege to be part of that. And, and so as we look at this story, it's amazing to think that this woman, who was such an outcast at the beginning of the story, wasn't she? I, I mean, I, I picture the, the, the way that she must have been ostracized from the community. And the, the scholars say she was out at the well in the middle of the day, which was rare. Most women would have went to the well either early in the morning. It would have kind of been a, a they call it, watering hole. You know, people would have hung around the well and actually talked and had community. Or they go at night and there was community around there. She was there in the middle of the day by herself. There's some significance to that. So she was this person who had been left aside by everybody else. And then we conclude the story by her being part of redeeming her whole people. And people saying, listen, I came to at least listen to Jesus for the first time because of you. Because I saw that he did something amazing in your life, and I had to at least go check it out. Man, there's nothing more beautiful than being part of the work that God is doing. So I want to close with this. I want to, I want to close with these three things that this story tells us about Jesus as we wrap up here today. And first one is this, that Jesus loves and engages with everyone. And we want you to hear that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, Jesus loves and wants to engage with you. Nobody is too far gone. No sin is too great for God to love you and care about you. So don't let condemnation drive you away from God, but know that he wants to walk with you. The second thing is this, that Jesus can forgive any and every sin. 
Okay, Jesus can forgive any and every sin. And this goes both ways. Not only the, the big massive sins that our world or our culture may say are big deals, but even the small things as well. Listen, some of us, we feel like too condemned to come to God. Others of us, we actually think we don't need God. We think, oh, I've lived a pretty good life. Our world kind of tells us that there's, there's two types of people, good people and bad people, right? And if you just find a bad enough person and you compare yourself to them, then you're like, oh, I'm a pretty good person. I'll put myself in the good person category. And we think, maybe I don't necessarily need God. I'm a, I'm a good parent. I love my kids. Or, or, or hey, I, I treat people nice. But th the reality of the Bible is that there's not two types of people, good people and bad people. We're all in the boat of needing forgiveness because sin has affected every single one of us. And, and as we look at our world, maybe some sin leads to bigger brokenness, but it doesn't negate the fact that every single one of us needs the love and forgiveness of God. And he wants to extend it to us. He wants us to receive it. He wants to offer it to us. And so don't compare yourself to somebody else who's worse than you and think that you don't need God. Compare yourself to God's standard, to Jesus and realize that he wants to forgive you and walk with you. And then third and finally is this, that Jesus is worth following. That Jesus is worth following. See, it's not good enough just to, to know that, that God wants to forgive us, that he wants to love us, but, but Jesus is actually worth following. Have you ever been in one of those situations where uh, maybe you're carpooling with a bunch of people and somebody jumps in and they're like, hey, I know the way, I know how to get there, don't even worry about turning your GPS on, just follow me. And, and so you're like, okay, whatever. And you start following them, and all of a sudden you realize you've been looping around the same circle for like four or five blocks, and the person has no clue where they're going. And, and you're just wasting your time following somebody who's not worth following. You know, maybe you've been in one of those situations where, where you follow somebody, or maybe, it, maybe it's in a different type of context in life. It's not driving in a car, but it's actually listening to somebody or, or, or trusting somebody, and they say, hey, trust me, I got this. And you start to follow them, and you realize they have no clue, and they're not worth following. Listen, Jesus is totally different than that. Jesus proved that he is worth following. When he came to this earth, he left heaven. He walked on earth as you and I walked, but he lived a perfect life without sin, without brokenness, and yet he still got killed for it. He went to the cross. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was crucified. He didn't deserve it, but he did it because he loves us, because he cared for us, and he died for us, and yet he rose again, proving that he is worth following. And so now we all have a decision to make. Am I going to hand my life over to you, Lord, and say, God, take it and do with it what I can't do on my own? Am I going to cling to it and say, I, I got this. I, I have everything under control. See, Jesus will take what you have of your life and make it so much more valuable than you could ever do on your own. He's worth following. That's who we are here at H2O. That's what our name's based on, and, and that is the, the message that we want to proclaim to every single person that we come into contact with, that Jesus, he's the only one who can satisfy our every thirst. So let's pray and let's, let's worship as we close out this morning.